You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Good morning, BU. Good to be with you guys. Good morning. Listen, I, I sat up in that corner, Sean remembers, this is my, my section and never said good morning to this chapel speaker. So I said, when I get there this morning, I'm going to make sure that I know that you're alive and awake. It's good to be back here on campus. Um, as was shared in the introduction, um, my name is Jeff King, uh, proud graduate of Bethel back in 2007. Feels like it was just yesterday, but time flies and you saw I have my own kids uh, now and get an opportunity to serve back at home in Fort Wayne. Uh, again, as we shared at a ministry called Love Fort Wayne, we're really the center of what, what we're trying to encourage our, our city as we seek to unite our city and ignite transformation is what would it look like if the church in the community focused on Matthew 22, the great command, Matthew 25, the great compassion, Matthew 28, the great commission, and we encapsulated those three things with the great together, what we call it Jesus' prayer in John 17. What if we were the hands and feet of Jesus in that type of way and embraced our, our unity? And I'm excited to talk a little bit about that today, really from this, this viewpoint of love. Um, because as we begin our, our go week and we, and we talk about going and, and, and living our life on mission, for me, it's not about giving you a bunch of checklists and things that you should do or could do to, to make a difference in the places where you live um, or in this community here as you're on campus. But it's, it's really about understanding God's love for you and then how that love should transform our hearts to go and be his hands and feet. And so we're going to talk about that today because his love is beautiful. It, it, it can't be measured, uh, but it's intimately close to us, and we're called to share it with other people. But before I get into that, I, I want to take you back to 1992, okay? Uh, <laughs> I was seven years old in 1992. I want to take you back to the summer of 1992 where me and my nine-year-old sister and my older brother, who was a cool older brother, he's 17. We didn't have a lot in common back then. We're really close now. He used to babysit us in the summertime. And that particular summer, he showed me and my sister something cool that changed the perspective of our life as little kids, even as he went to college. He showed us how to bypass the channel blocks that my parents put up on the TV channels that they didn't want us to watch. So my parents were good parents. They were like, don't watch MTV, BET, or VH1 because back in those days, they actually played music on the music channels and they showed videos. My parents were like, uh-uh, I don't want you guys watching that type of stuff. So my brother said, listen, if you turn on the cable through the VCR, okay, now you... You might not know what a VCR is, okay? And that's all right. We don't have enough time, but we didn't have Netflix, but you just put a tape into a box and it, it played the movie. He said, if you, if you attach the cable to the VCR box, you can bypass all the channels. And so we start doing that. As soon as we hear the cars leave that summer, we turn on the box and watch all the MTV or BET we wanted. And in the summertime, in 1992, there was a lady by the name of Mary J. Blige. Anybody know who Mary J. Blige is? I know Sean does. <laughs> Mary J. Blige, okay? I think we have a slide of this, of, of Mary J. It's next. She, she came out with this song called Real Love, and it was a banger. 
millions and millions and millions of copies in her debut, debut album based upon this song, Real Love. And you see the words of the hook on the screen, it's simple, real love, I'm searching for a real love. Someone who has set my heart free, real love, I'm searching for a real love. Then she hit this long riff, and I can't sing, but she goes, I, searching for a real love, okay? I won't be on that, that ministry team, thank you. Thank you, that travels. It's a sweet sound to the Lord's ear. Um, but she says, I got to have a real love. And it was a big hit. Why? Because people are constantly searching for a real love. Something that will make them whole, something that will set them free, something that will fill the void that each and, us have, each and every one of us have. Real love. Now, she was encouraging people to find it in, in someone else. But those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we know that there is a real love that truly sets us free and makes us whole. It right-sizes everything in our lives, our trials, our tribulations, our joy of today, our hopes for tomorrow. It's rooted in God's real love that came down to earth and, and lived among us and died for us and conquered sin and death so that we don't have to live a life of death. We can live life free for all of eternity with the hope that we have in Jesus. When we've been filled with this love, we understand what real love looks like. But in our day-to-day -day context, where we are each and every day, in your town, in your city, here in this community, there are people who do not understand the context of real love. There are people that are searching for it every single day. The lost, the lowly, the neighbor among you, the deprived, those in need of mercy, care, tenderness, and grace. People are searching for a real love, the beaten down, the downtrodden, the hopeless, the hopeful, the fatherless, the, the abused. They're searching for a real love. And those of us in Jesus, we have that love. As I look at your generation, I have the opportunity, the cool opportunity to speak to, to college age students and the emerging generation and, and our culture and society a lot. I look at you and I think this is a beautiful generation that God has called to do something beautiful for the kingdom. And I look at you, I say, man, you have a heart for love, true love in Jesus, biblical justice and mercy. And as I look at you, I, I wanna let you in on something that's happening in our shared generation, as, as, as the emerging generation. What I feel like is happening in our shared generation is, is two things. There's, there's something cool, we have, Learn to lean into the intimacy of what God's love means to us personally. Identity in Christ and who we are in him. And that's beautiful. But on the other side of things, within our shared generation, I think we have a hard time of actually expressing that love outwardly towards other people. We hone it in for ourselves. We hold it deep in our own hearts, but we are perhaps reluctant to, to share it with other people, maybe because we don't have an understanding of how God has called for us not only to embrace his love for ourselves, but to share it with other people. And so today we're gonna look at a passage in 1 John, chapter three, verses 16 through 18. You'll see the passage on your screen where the apostle John, he, he's, he's writing this several decades after his time with Jesus. And he gives us a little bit of a blueprint of what love looks like, not only for ourselves, but how we're called to share it in our near places, in our in-between places, and where the Lord might send us abroad. It says this, starting in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, 
And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Now here in this passage, John has used the first part of his letter to talk about how God is light. But here in chapter three and for the rest of the book, he begins to to spin it a little bit and he talks about another truth, that, that God is love. And with that, he expresses that not only is God love, but also those of us who are in Christ should lean into that love and we should express that love our very selves. And there's three specific things that I believe he alludes to here in this passage that we're going to cover today. And you'll see it on your screen. These three things. First, I think John talks to us about laying down our lives sacrificially. That's what love does. It gives in need. And then thirdly, it acts beyond words. It lays down, it gives in need, and it acts. It's action-based. That's what true love is. You know, when we take a look at this first point just a little bit deeper, especially for our context today, you can see this, th- that there is no other better definition that John shares with us. There's, he, he says there's no other better definition or example of what love truly is than that of Jesus. Jesus is the example of what love is. You can search high and low to try to find it. But love in itself that we're called to express is defined by the action and the outcome of the cross. This is what John is pointing our attention to. Jesus, he substituted himself sacrificially on our behalf by living the life that we are called to live, but we can't because we're sinners. And he died the death now that we don't have to die. That love at its core is self-sacrifice is self-substitution so that we and others might experience a fullness that we might not be able or we would not be able to experience on our very own, not by our own strength and not by our own merit. And when I think about that in context and I understand it for myself and where if, if you were to grasp it and those of you who have grasped it and you understand it for yourself, I believe then it begins to shift our mind to understanding that Because Christ has done this for me, because he has laid down his life for me and given me this type of love, that now I ought to have a desire in my heart to give that type of love to other people, to my neighbor, to make that type of love known to the folks that I encounter every single day. Here's an example for you. It's a story about my daughter. By a show of hands, I'm going to do a hands poll. I know we do a lot of polls on our phones, but this is a show of hands poll, super easy. How many of you all have a sibling or someone that you would consider like a brother and sister? By a show of hands, okay? A lot of people have siblings or somebody that they would consider a brother or sister. That's great, okay. Second hand poll question. How many of you have ever fought with that sibling? And some of you guys put your hands up faster that time. Okay. I mentioned I have a sister that's just a couple years older than me. Man, we fought, like fought. Like one of those fights, like fist fights that you should, I shouldn't have been hitting a girl, but she was little too, so I hit her. And it was like, I'm not proud of that. And it's like a whisper fight, like you be quiet, you be quiet. No, you be quiet, mom will hear. And my mom was always like, I hear you. 
parents always hear, we fought. And now I have my own kids. And my teenage girls are about the same distance in age as we are, and they fight. My girls are different. One is tall, she's taller than me. One is a little dainty, a petite thing. One is kind of neat and orderly. The other one, she'll knock over a trash can and walk by it and say, I hope somebody gets it. <laughs> you know, one of them likes to do her nails, lip gloss, and the other one's just sweat. She likes to kick it and chill. That's a, those are my girls. They're just, they're different. But the big kicker is this, they share a room. <laughs> yeah, you feel me? They share a room. And so the latest fight this past year, the biggest one that I could remember was they were, they were arguing about a flat iron, okay? Straightening their hair, okay? I don't know anything about that. They're, 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 <laughs> they're arguing about straightening their hair. They're going back and forth about this thing, and I'm like, okay, what's the problem? Well, she won't let me use the flat iron, the hair straightener. Why? The answer was because because I don't want her to use it. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I gotta get to the bottom of this. this. This fight doesn't make sense. And so I go, well, whose hair straightener is it? She goes, well, it's mom. Mom gave it to me. And you don't want her to use it, why? Because my hair is already straight. She only wants her hair to be straight because my hair is straight. So we're talking a little bit more and I'm trying to figure out how to be a good dad in this situation and listen to both of their sides. And I looked at my daughter, daughter number one, I won't say her name, and I say, listen, is the hair straightener yours? No. Mom gave it to you. Yes. So mom gave you something that made you feel beautiful, that filled you up, that allowed you to do the thing that you couldn't do on your own. It's not yours. It was gifted to you. And you've been able to utilize it for yourself, but you are unwilling to let your sister have that same experience. And in that moment... I saw this, this thought of dad is going to obligate me to, to love my sister change into I ought to love my sister because someone gave me the opportunity to take care of myself and I want my sister to have the same experience as me. This is what it's like when we're called to, to love our neighbor. God has loved you with an everlasting love, giving you grace and opportunity. In the places that you were falling short, day in and day out, yet you've come to have a relationship with him. And sometimes we hoard that for ourselves and forget that he's laid down his life and love so that we can experience the love ourselves, but also show that love to those who are nearest to us. Listen, the point also is this. We often consider ourselves ready to lay down our lives and our nearest places and our cities and our towns and our neighborhoods with these great events and these Herculean things and these big gestures. But listen, for the most part, in the day-to-day, -day, among your neighbors, where you live, and even here on campus, God calls us to lay down our lives really in small pieces, piece by piece, little by little, in small moment, moments and important ways that make a big impact in people's lives. This is, how, this is how we're called to live, excuse me. You'll see on your screens there's a question that I want you to ponder with that story and even in this word, it's this. The question for us is how can we ask ourselves today, where is my life, where in my life is the recognition of Jesus laying down of himself spurring on the ought to in me to lay down my life for other people? Where is it spurring me on? the remembering that Christ laid down his life for me in love, that I should then go 
and move with the attitude of, man, I want other people to experience his love too. Listen, John's point in this, uh, I love, and a secondary point of this is really expressed among brothers and sisters in Christ. It's most beautifully expressed among brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the root of this passage. I don't want to leave anybody out that hasn't made a decision to, to follow Jesus, but this passage, again, is really about what would happen if believers model that first. What if believers were the ones who said, you know what, we might have difference, but I'm going to choose to love you first because we are both in Christ. I believe I can't go and be hands and feet to my neighbor in my city, in my community, and those who don't know Jesus if I'm unwilling to love across the table from another believer. But listen, I got to keep it real. It's like my girls. It's hard among the believers sometimes. And that's why in John 13, after Jesus, he, he washed his disciples' feet. He took out his outer garment. He wiped the ta- wrapped a towel around his waist. And he washed his disciples' feet. At the end of that passage in John 13, you'll see on slides, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Listen, emerging generation, again, with a beautiful heart for Jesus and to love like him for justice and mercy. I urge you to love your brothers and sisters in the faith, to make a commitment to that. Why? Because it sets the foundation for how you can love those who don't know Jesus. And it sets an example for them about what Christ's love truly is, so that when we go to be his hands and feet in our nearest places, they have a greater understanding of what his love truly looks like. And as we embrace that thought, I think that it's beautiful that John then, he, he continues on in this passage, and he leads us to some practical ways that we can then go and be hands and feet of Jesus in our day-to-day. And he, he hits those last two points that I talked about, to give of itself and to act beyond words. Starting again in verse 17, as a really quick overview, verses 17 and 18 say this, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, again, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Here's the reality. Very rarely will a Christian, will you and I be asked to literally give up our physical lives, to die. Yes, it happens. There are brothers and sisters in the faith that are martyred, that are are killed for their belief, But very rarely will you and I or one of us in this room be asked to do that. But if we're going to love in the giving of ourselves and action and truth, we will have to do something. We're going to have to give of our time. We're going to have to give of our treasure. We're going to have to give of the talents that God has given us. We're going to have to do the things that are right in front of us that the Holy Spirit is prompting for us to do because sincere love flows from our hearts and not just our mouths. It flows from our hearts, not just from our mouths. It springs from our hands and our feet, not just our lips. But sometimes we get caught up in talking about loving our neighbor instead of actually moving in action to do so. In verse 17, what John is doing, he's doing this thing called a a greater than lesser example. Based on verse 16, he's saying, Jesus, he had a life to give you. He had a life to give you. And so he gave it, and, and you and I, we have our, our stuff. And our stuff really is, again, our gifts, our talents, 
some of the things that he's physically given us. Those are the things that he's asking for us to extend to other people in the day to day. And his thought really was for the reader is Jesus saw your need and he gave his life. You, however, see your brother's need and you close your, close your eyes, excuse me, you close your heart and you close your hands. And then he poses the question in this passage. He says, is this really God's love and action if that is your posture? And the answer, guess what, is no. The answer is no. If you have something that you can give to others but you close your eyes and you close your heart and you close your hands, then we truly aren't living out God's love. The heart controls the hands and it moves the feet. Anytime our heart is closed to love the least of these that are among us, then our feet become statue-like. But anytime our minds remember how we've been loved when we were in those situations, I, begin our hearts, I believe our hearts begin to open and our hands begin to move. I'll share another story with you as we near our close. I have a friend in Fort Wayne and his name is Chris. He's a pastor. And Chris was sharing this story at a citywide prayer gathering. We do these at Love Fort Wayne every month. 400, 500 people come out in the city and they, they worship and they pray together from different backgrounds, ecumenical histories. They come and they worship and they pray and they seek the peace and prosperity of our city. So Chris is sharing this story there and he's like, there was one time in the fall, I'm driving, I didn't have to preach. The next day, it was a Saturday, just got done serving and I was excited. I got a chance to actually go home and relax. I'm driving my car down Bluffton Road, and there's a, there's, a, there's a theater there called the Clyde Theater. I do a lot of concerts, and there's shopping plazas all around it. And he said there was an older gentleman that had like an eight-valve leaf blower, and he was shuffling across, and it was just, and he said, dude, it was like a million leaves. And the guy's just moving an inch at a time, an inch at a time. And he was like, I'm driving, I see the guy, and I think, poor guy. He said, and I just kept driving. He said, I got to the light and I remembered I had just taught a series on loving your neighbor. True story. So I get to the light and I look at the rear mirror and I'm like, shoot. He said, I look back at the guy, I turn the corner and I head towards home and the Holy Spirit's like, Chris. <laughs> I get to my house and I know what I have to do. He said, I, I unpacked the stuff that I have from a little family trip. I, I grab my blower, I grab my rakes, I grab my bags, and I drive back around the corner. And I park behind this guy, and it's wind's blowing. He's got this little blower. He's still inching along, million leaves, making zero progress. And I come up behind him, and I scared him. And he said he was startled. And I was, he was like, that's, that's a problem in itself, because I asked the guy, hey, can I, can I help you? I want to serve alongside you. And he was like, what do you really want? What do you really want? He said, it showed for me that people aren't used to other people coming and loving them in the places that they are. He said, so I, I said, I don't want anything. I want to help you. And he said, they sat and they blew leaves together. And he asked the guy if I could pray for you. And the guy at the end of it said, you're showing me that there's still hope in our world. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in James 2, 15 through 17, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. 
unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. That passage is an example of what was happening in my friend Chris's heart. He could have easily said, and at first he did, goodbye, I got things to do. But what good is our faith if we are unwilling to lean in with our neighbor in their time of need, remembering the love that we've received so that we might love people as well? Listen, love moves in action and truth. Love is so much more than just writing something or speaking something or making an inspirational quote on our Instagram or putting it on our story and beckoning other people to do the work. It's about us realizing how much we've been loved by a savior who laid down his life. And John chose the word truth for a reason because words can be empty and actions, they can be hypocritical. We might choose to not walk the walk even though we talk the talk or on the other hand, sometimes we walk the walk with self-seeking reasons because we want other people to see that we've loved our neighbor. And those motives aren't rooted in the truth of what love is, and that takes us all the way back to where we began. That love in itself is understanding, understanding it the way that John defined it. And that's Christ laying down his life for us. And so again, the challenge for us, especially at the beginning of this Go Week is, can I remember that Christ laid down his life for me and gave me new life and loved me in a way that no other person could love me, gave me a real love. Will I embrace that and know it for myself, which is beautiful, and also duly embrace it and know it for myself so that I might share that love with the neighbors that are nearest to me because that's what God calls us to. I'm gonna leave you with three questions you'll see on your screen that maybe you can take away during your quiet time. I think they're up there. If not, I'm gonna read them. I wanna challenge you with this maybe in your quiet times. Question one, in what places can you begin to lay down yourself to love well with those in the faith and those who are yet to know Jesus? How can you begin to lay down yourself in love? Where is the spirit prompting you? Question two, beyond prayer and in good tidings into love-driven service, where is the spirit prompting you to not just pray, and not just wish good tidings, but to actually move. And then the third thing is this, where might God be inviting you to repent of words spoken without love in action? Where is God asking you to say, I'm changed my heart, I'm gonna turn it towards you, and I'm gonna move in action with what you've given me, remembering the love that you've shared for me so that I might share it with others. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you uh, for your everlasting love that the greatest gift that you've given us, Father, is a perfect example of what love is rooted in. It's the gift of your son, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we rem- we were, we're reminded that you laid down yourself for us as an act of love. Lord, your love has changed our lives in, in, in testimonial ways that would, would just fill this room with abundance. And we don't, we don't have time for that this morning, but I pray, Father, that as you speak to those of us in the room about how you've loved us, and the testimony of our lives and our ups and downs and the trials and the breakthroughs, that it would then spur us on not only to embrace the love that you've given us and worship you from that place, but then also, Lord, to have our eyes open to love others that are near to us in our own neighborhoods, in our own towns, in our own cities. Because you've given us this love, not just to hoard for ourselves, but to also share with others. And so as we begin this Go Week, 
I pray that this word would just be a seeded word in the hearts of these students, that they would remember that your love. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.bethelluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.